0: Here's Draco Malfoy and the Talon Brand. Part 5 of the Mirror of Isidaru series by Star Bridget, Chapter 6. The Slytherin Prefect. You know, Harry said drearily one day, living at the anti Voldemort headquarters isn't nearly as interesting or exciting as I would have expected, it was a double-edged sword being the person Harry spewed out all his most unpleasant thoughts to, things he would never say aloud to anyone else. On one hand, it made them closer, and made Draco more important to Harry. On the other hand, it gave a disturbing enough window into the handsome head of the boy who lived, that Draco couldn't help but spend a great deal of useless time worrying about him, which was only a step away from pining after him, which was something he was determined to never do, even if Harry's shoulders looked all the stronger, after weeks of carrying things as he helped clean up Grimold. Yeah, Draco said absently, turning the gold-black signet ring in his hand before putting it back in its great onyx and gilt jewellery box. Yeah, Harry said, especially now that Sirius kicked me out of your jewelling practices. There's people coming and going all the time, but no one ever tells me what they're doing. He frowned and peered over Draco's shoulder. You've got out all the black jewellery again. It had been easy to procure from Creature, "'telling him he wanted to take it to Hogwarts, to Slytherin House, "'where it would be safer than here with Sirius around. "'What are you planning to do with it?' "'Can't tell you,' Draco said automatically. "'See?' Harry said. "'No one tells me anything.' "'Book lists have arrived,' said Ron, "'coming in and throwing them their envelopes, with the twins following. "'They began to gossip with Harry about the new defence textbooks listed, "'meaning there would be a new defence professor.' Draco wished he could tell them they wouldn't be so happy when they found out who it was. He opened his envelope wider to look for his prefect badge. It had come with this letter in the blue loop, though Father had found out and told him weeks sooner. The badge wasn't there. Huh, funny. They must not be sending them out with these. Except they had been, because there was Ron, with a red and gold badge falling from his envelope once the twins tipped it. There was also a letter telling him he'd been made prefect, it has been a mistake, Fred said, before letting Draco have a look at the letter. No one in their right mind would make Ron a prefect. Draco had been so smug at being a prefect when Harry wasn't last time. He'd even been happy to see that honour go to a Weasley. Now it seemed he and Harry would share that exclusion. He could see the twins looking over at Harry, ready to interrogate the decision, and Draco cut in before they could. "'Clearly, the system has gone off the rails. "'If the most handsome, talented, successful and handsome boy "'in the whole school isn't made prefect, "'then the title is a farce.' "'Their gazes didn't move from Harry, "'with Ron looking monstrously offended. "'What? You think I mean Harry? "'I'm obviously speaking of myself.' "'You're not a prefect!' "'Ron, Fred and George all exclaimed in unison, "'scrambling over to research his envelope for him. We Snape your head of house, how can that be?' "'Ron asked, and Harry got up, looking agitated. "'You made him quit it, Captain. "'Harry said in a curt tone, "'Reckon he thought he'd be too busy if you made him prefect as well. "'He already gave him a slip to use all the prefect privileges last year anyway. "'Don't worry, you two, you're better off without it,' "'George said awkwardly after a moment.' don't want to turn out like Percy. Ickle Ronnie the Prefect, George agreed, while Ron gingerly reached over and offered Harry the badge to see. Then Hermione bustled in with her own letter, made Prefect as well as Draco had known, and made the worst possible interpretation. Draco could only scoot himself out of the line of fire, as Harry had to tell her it was Ron, not him, and her flummoxed reaction left Ron on the defensive again. Then Mrs Weasley came in fussing in her maternal way over Ron. Draco could read the detachment deepen in, in Harry's eyes. Something of the oh look, he's got a mum, and mine was murdered when I was a baby crossing his face. A prefect that's everyone in the family, Mrs Weasley exclaimed. Draco tried and failed to suppress his mirth, as Mrs Weasley hugged Ron and sidestepped the twins to their indignation. What well, Fred and I are next door neighbours Draco and Hermione laughed, only to stop when they saw Harry's face. Mrs Weasley kept enthusing over Ron, offering to buy him presents they clearly couldn't afford, and Harry was just staring at the wall now. They exchanged glances, trying to non-verbally communicate who should talk to Harry to console him, only for Mrs Weasley to congratulate Draco and Hermione on also being made prefects before her way out. Draco stared after her and let the door close before Fred and George began to laugh. "'I wasn't actually chosen for Slytherin,' Draco said and considered. "'It's probably Theo.' "'You weren't what?' Hermione shrieked. "'Was it Theodore not? do you think? But he isn't half as smart as you?' Draco shrugged elegantly. "'Oh, Theo is very clever, though, and it probably comes down to who's gotten less detentions and all that as well, you know,' he said giving Harry a significant look. Troublemakers need not apply. Oh yeah, otherwise we'd have been prefects for sure, Fred said brightly. The twins teased Ron a bit more before disapparating, as they liked to leave rooms with since they'd got their licences. Then Ron dashed out, speculating none too sensitively about which broomstick he'd have his mother buy him as a reward. Draco and Mione exchanged glances again, and came to the silent conclusion that Hermione would be better at comforting Harry. But when Draco rose to leave him with Hermione, Harry did not seem happy. "'What?' he muttered. "'Don't you have to go and get ready to be a prefect too, Hermione?' His tone was uncharacteristically venomous enough that Draco saw the wisdom of leaving him with someone who hadn't just been rewarded an honour he'd been denied. "'Hermione, let me,' said Draco. She smiled at him weakly, before asking Harry if she could borrow Hedwig to send a letter to her parents, to let them know she'd been made prefect. Harry said yes, though Draco could practically hear his real answer. Sure, I don't need her to send a letter to my parents that I've been made prefect, because I haven't been made prefect, and also, I don't have parents. So, Draco said once Hermione had left with Hedwig, we're the rejects, are?" Huh? Shut up, Harry muttered, and flopped down onto his bed and buried his face in his hands. Draco stared down at him, surprised to find him so unhappy not to be chosen. You thought it would be you, not Ron, huh? I forgot Prefects were this year. Harry muttered, but yeah, I guess I would have expected it to be me, that Dumbledore would pick me. But I guess he hates me now anyway, so go ahead, call me arrogant. I shouldn't be shocked, I'm a terrible friend. I don't know the exact quote, Draco said, sitting beside him on his bed. But someone once said that the only thing more unbearable than the successes of our enemies is the successes of our friends. He squinted. Or maybe it went, the only thing more unbearable than the failures of our friends are their successes. Either way, you catch my drift. No, Harry muttered, I don't. Draco began to poke lightly at his back. Wow, Harry's shoulder blades really had gotten taut. It was like concrete under his fingertip. You could jam your finger on them. "'I mean,' Draco said, "'it sucks to be jealous, "'but it sucks worse when it's your friend.' Then you feel like a shitty person, because you're not supposed to be jealous. You're supposed to be happy for them. Now you see how Ron felt when your name came out of the Goblet of Fire last year. Harry rolled over at that, but he hardly looked pleased at Draco's analysis of the situation. "'I'm kind of relieved not to be a prefect, honestly, you know,' Draco added. He found he was— without the prospect of having to face his father and explain why he hadn't been chosen. So much bloody work, and I'm glad Ron got it and not you don't. Pout? Yeah, rejection feels like shit, but this means so much more to him than it would to you. Don't you remember what he saw in the mirror of Erised? So he can get what he saw in that mirror, Harry said and a small voice choked up at the reference. Draco had been too stupid to think it through. I won't. I never can. Draco bit his lip, trying to figure out how to so much as make a dent in this moody lump before him. And then Harry asked a question that made it all the harder to know how. What did you see in it? You never said. Draco pulled his hand back from the vicinity of Harry's side as if it was radioactive. "'I... ah, uh, well...' "'He didn't know why he'd never thought of a lie for this. "'It had just seemed like the situation had long passed. "'It would have, if he hadn't been the one to bring it up. "'What would Harry believe of Draco, himself, as an unspeakable, "'married to some gorgeous faceless man, "'standing over the corpse of his father? "'Harry, I... "'Harry got so mad when Draco didn't tell him things, "'but he would.' as soon as he came up with a decent enough lie. Never mind. Harry sighed and rolled back over, facing away. Will you just tell me if it's something you could have, like Ron's, or it's like mine and you never could? Draco stared and then slowly, as if in a dream, traced his fingers down Harry's tense back, just a trace, before he let the touch fall away. It's something I could never have. Later that day, Remus pulled Draco aside to tell him he didn't need to keep making him the Wolfsbane once he left. I've learned enough from watching you, he said firmly, that with your suppliers, I should be able to produce it myself. I'm still going to brew some in case yours doesn't work the first few times, Draco said stubbornly. It would be good to have some stored up for an emergency. Remus just shook his head with a look that made Draco hope he really did think he could handle the wolf's bone on his own and wasn't just being self-sacrificing. O.W.L.s w ls it, Captain Draco. "'We'll be lucky if you have time to breathe, let alone make extra potions.' Draco still packed enough supplies, so he and Hermione could make one or two rounds, with or without Severus hosting. In some twisted way, he might miss the time he'd spent off doing it secretly with Hermione, with their disloyal ghost-body Myrtle floating nearby, making alternately gloomy and perverted comments. Harry kept up his unhappiness about the prefect situation to himself, give him that. Things only became awkward, again, when Mrs Weasley unfurled a red banner she had made that read Congratulations, Ron, Hermione and Draco, New Prefects. Draco didn't have the heart to tell her he hadn't been made one and her banner needed revision. It did mean he had to put up with Ginny, Arthur and Bill Weasley congratulating him, before serious Remus, Tonks and Shacklebolt did at the same dinner. Even Mad-Eye Mooney got in a congratulations Draco had to reject. But at least Moody had an important reason for being there, getting rid of a boggart. Or rather, they should have left it to him, but Mrs Weasley said she would be perfectly fine getting rid of it herself. She wasn't. Boggarts were such a comical thing, in theory. But knowing what you saw wasn't real didn't stop you seeing it. And if you were too weak against your own fear, or your fear was lethal enough, you simply couldn't laugh at it. From the sounds of it, that was what had happened to Mrs Weasley. She'd had a breakdown over being shown the corpses of her family in succession, before other members of the Order stepped in. Draco wouldn't know, though. He'd run up all three flights of stairs, locked his bedroom door and put a chair in front of it the minute he heard the word Boggart. Hermione had to come up and knock to tell him when it was done. "'Oh, Draco,' she said fondly, petting his hair as he sat there fretting at just the thought of a Boggart. "'Even though you can do a Patronus now, you do still have one weakness, don't you?' "'And disillusionment charms,' Draco panted. "'I can't do those either.' Harry had nightmares that night, in wake of seeing Mrs Weasley's boggart. But on the last night he had the chance to go to Draco's room, he didn't use it. He was just tired and surly like he always seemed these days, as they were told they were to walk to King's Cross. Draco had all kinds of complaints on his tongue, about Malfoy's being forced to mingle with the hoi polloi, but Harry's face made him keep them to himself. At least Moody was transporting their baggage for them. Sirius pulled Draco aside before the walk, the last sight Draco would probably have of him before Christmas. The realisation had a sentimentality that Draco would rather not have felt, but he returned Sirius's hug, even as it dragged on incredibly long. When Sirius finally let him go, he seemed unable to express what he was feeling in words, which made it lucky Remus happened along. "'He's going to miss you,' Remus translated helpfully. "'As will I. Be careful, Draco.' and unfolded him in another warm hug. Here, Draco said once they parted, shoving a package into his hands. Please send it, all right. He hadn't been sure whether he was going to trash it, but at just the last second, the feeling of that warmth had been too powerful a reminder of what he had left behind. It's just a pair of earrings, he said, when Remus stared stricken at the person it was addressed to. Earrings with the black sigil. They were the most beautiful ones he had found, beautiful enough to befit Draco's mother. Remus stared at him for a long moment, then nodded. "'I'll send them,' he said, and hugged Draco again before letting him go to join the others. The walk stretched on and on, but finally they made it to King's Cross. "'Hey, Harry,' Tonks said, scanning the platform for Muggles before leading him forward. "'I heard you and Draco go through together every year. What are you two after Ron and Ginny?' It's fine, Harry muttered, shying away and scowling. We didn't last summer. He didn't take the train. It's just a stupid childish tradition anyway. Draco rolled his eyes. Harry, would you like to go through with me, please? Harry's eyes lit right up. Okay, he exclaimed, and practically sprinted over to go through by Draco's side. Draco's first mission, as always, was to find Luna but Harry didn't let him out of his sight during the search. Ron and Hermione had left to go be prefects, so Draco was all he had. We've never actually had a train ride to Hogwarts together, he said stubbornly. It just keeps not working out. In first year, we never saw you. In second year, you and Ron were fighting about your father's fighting and you bolted. In third year, I passed out from the Dementors. And fourth year, you didn't take the Hogwarts Express at all. "'And how exactly is third year my fault?' Draco groused, "'only to stop when they passed the next compartment, "'threw the door open, throw his arms in the air and shriek, "'Cousin!' "'Neville Longbottom had been sitting beside Luna, "'speaking intently into her ear, "'only to leap to his feet red-faced at the sound of Draco's voice. "'Luna just looked up and gave her patient smile. "'Cousin!' She called in return, lifting her arms and waggled them until Draco came over and hugged her. Neville was just telling me about all the plants he's been growing this summer. You tell him about testifying at the serious black trial this summer, Draco drawled. No offence, Neville, but I think she might have you beat there when it comes to eventful summers. Oh, but they were very tall plants, Luna said happily, as they settled in the compartment. Luna insisted Neville finish his stupefyingly dull plant story, which she found fascinating, or at least pretended to, while Harry stared broodingly out of the window, and Draco wondered why exactly he had thought it a good idea to have befriended Gryffindors. The train sped on, with an almost suspicious normality to its progress. Neville's plant story ended up livening things up after all, "'Once its climax was reached with the arrival of his exciting new birthday present, "'he produced the hideous Mimbulus mimbletonia from his bag, "'which by all appearances seemed to be a cactus "'that had been infected with the bubonic plague. "'Such a bizarre sight was predictably like catnip to Luna, "'who hovered over it, it excitedly, "'while Harry's gaze more worryingly barely strayed from the window. "'Luna asked what it did, "'and her attention seemed to drive Neville to rest ambitions. He gave Draco his toad Trevor to hold for him with a certain swagger, before getting out a quill and poked the plagued cactus with its tip. Out exploded the cactus, expelling a dark green liquid out over every inch of the compartment. Draco would have used Ron as a human shield if he had been present, but as it was he got caught in the face by it, as did Luna from up closer, The moment Luna gave Neville a little praise, his quill set off an explosion. There was a metaphor there, if one looked closely enough. Harry hadn't been looking, so only his robes were caught, but the foul-smelling liquid caught the entire back of them. It was an indescribably foul, organic odour. Something like Draco might imagine Amortensia would smell to a blast-ended scroot. "'Sorry!' Neville gasped. I haven't tried that before. I didn't realise it would be so. Don't worry, though. Stink sap's not poisonous. It had better not be, given that Luna seemed to have ingested a fair quantity. Neville, Draco said slowly, if there is any of this, this stink sap in my hair. There is actually, Luna said quite brightly, quite a lot. "'Please don't curse him. He means well.' "'Ugh!' Draco exclaimed, "'hands flying to his chin-length hair only to come away full of sap. "'Longbottom! You are dangerously close to losing your position "'as my favourite Gryffindor!' "'Don't worry. There's no harm done,' Luna said, "'and began to apply a fairly good Tergio charm to the sap over herself, "'before siphoning off the most obvious sap from the others.' Harry was staring at Draco's hair with the sum of the dismay Draco felt, but he let out a laugh when Luna raised her wands toward it, and Draco dove down into his seat, covering his head with his hands. "'Draco, don't be frightened, I'll clean off your hair.' "'The day I let my hair be touched by a turdio charm,' Draco sputtered, "'is the day I retreat from civilization and become a hermit in the Galapagos.' "'Was that an option?' "'Luna asked mildly. "'They do have rather large turtles, don't they?' "'Exactly,' Draco said, "'as Harry conjured a cup before using Aguamenti to fill it with water. "'He offered it to Draco and then poured it over Draco's head when he didn't take it. Scourgify, Luna cast behind them, and Neville followed suit. "'Oh, so you mean the turtles could be your friends?' Neville asked tentatively. No, Neville, because I could eat them, Draco explained, which is sounding far better by the second. Harry, what are you doing with my hair? As best, Luna observed smartly. Harry, do you want me to take over? No, Harry said firmly, I'm good with Draco's hair. And let Luna and Neville tend to the majority of the clean-up, getting robes from their suitcases to change into in their place while well, he fussed over Draco's sap and now waterlogged hair. I mean, I think I am, he said more softly. Harry, Draco said seriously, I hope you realise, however heroic your intentions, if this ends in me losing my hair, or even having to cut it shorter, you will not only receive os and conjunctivitis together... I'll tell my godfather that he is not nearly tough enough on you in potions class. Harry laughed softly, a soft rumbling noise that made Draco's gut clench up at the most unexpected and gross of times. Harry's voice had almost completely finished changing, which was not good for Draco's sanity. I'm getting it, I'm getting it, he said and slowly but surely began to use water and his fingers to hand-wash all of the goop out of Draco's hair. His fingertips were so soft, and yet felt like they must be leaving marks on the nape of Draco's neck each time they brushed it, from how good it felt. Sometimes it was like Harry had to have cast some enchantment on Draco, for Draco's body to respond to Harry's proximity the way it did, some nasty spell that made Draco's skin positively melt under every touch. Draco knew from too many years of the same weakness. If he was weak, it was his own fault and his own secret. Hermione and Ron showed up about an hour later to find the four of them clean and changed, but Draco ready to regale them with tales of his inhuman plight. They had a pile of candy awaiting from the trolley, which Ron descended upon like a swarm of locusts, while Hermione reported on the other prefects. Theo was the male Slytherin prefect, while Pansy was the female. Luna commented on how bad a time Ron had given Ravenclaw prefect Padma Patil last Christmas, at which every other occupant of the compartment tried to change the subject at the same time. Not one of them wanted to be reminded of that yule ball. It began to rain outside, which had Draco's nerves on edge, but no dementors showed up. Instead, they finished out him and Harry's first ever successful full trip to Hogwarts together, upon which Luna gave a rather embarrassing applause for the accomplishment. Oh, but it is an accomplishment, Draco, she said wide-eyed. You're always wandering off to such strange places. And, uh, it was our first trip to Hogwarts together. Neville said shyly to Luna, who nodded obliviously. That was, uh, really nice to sit with you, Luna. I mean, all of you, but... Oh, Harry, Luna said, you're going to be able to see the Thestrals, now." Harry was indeed, though arguably he should have been capable long before he ever came to Hogwarts. The hundred stagecoaches each had their pair of Thestrals, with their giant bat-like leathery wings flapping in anticipation of the flight, like a waiting mass of shadow. As Draco looked at them with new eyes, imagining how they must strike Harry for the first time, He reflected that their wings beginning to move had the same inky, murky quality in the dusk as the shadow that sometimes came out of his wand. "'What are those?' Harry hissed, grabbing onto Draco's arm rather than getting into a stagecoach with the others. He'd already seemed disconcerted by the absence of Hagrid guiding the first years, though Draco had assured him he'd be back soon enough, in, oh, maybe November or so. Thestrals? Luna told you?' "'Draco said, trying to pull him in. "'Come in, you know what they are, right?' "'Pigwidgeon and Crookshanks were twittering and mewling inside their coach, "'waiting for its final occupants. "'But Harry stood there with a look somewhere between captivated and horrified, "'transfixed by the outward face of death. "'He seemed unable to look away from the empty stare the closest was giving him back, "'its wide, vacant white eyes returning Harry's attention.' before sliding away to focus on nothing. I don't, Harry said absently. Draco reached out and stroked his hand over the creature's nose, like they'd be taught in care of magical creatures this coming year by Hagrid. They're just their straws, Draco said fondly, having had a far worse relationship with the other large winged creatures in Hagrid's class in the Blue Loop. You can see them now, because you've seen someone die, that's all. Only people who can see death can see them. Luna can, because she saw her mother die when she was young. Now, are you coming? Because I watched you kill Wormtail, Harry whispered. Draco tilted his head at him, giving him a deliberately manic, twisted smirk. "'Yes. You're welcome, Harry. I'll be accepting your gratitude now. Without me, you wouldn't be able to see these beautiful creatures, would you? Never say I didn't open you up to new horizons,' he drawled, and hauled Harry bodily inside the carriage before they were left behind. The Gryffindors spent far too much time worrying needlessly after Hagrid, staring fearfully at the sight of his cabin with its lights out, until Draco lost his patience—' and told them Hagrid was on a mission to the Giants for Dumbledore. How do you know that? Neville asked, looking awed. Draco considered very carefully how much he should trust Neville, before deciding to enough to answer. I heard Sirius and Remus talking about it. It was actually true. Information he knew from the red line, not the blue, though that didn't keep the others, especially Harry, being cross at him for waiting until now to disclose it. "'What?' Draco said with a shrug. "'He's going to be perfectly fine. Come on! Are you surprised? What? "'Did you think all that snuggling up to Madame Maxime "'was just because McGonagall would never give the poor bloke a shot?' "'Neville looked further awed. "'I hear the most interesting things when I ride with your cousin,' he told Luna. "'Whatever ruminations Draco had been undertaking "'upon the foolhardiness of friendship with Gryffindor's,' "'It was still a gut-punch to reach the Great Hall "'and have to go off to Slytherin alone. Or they went to their table together. "'He smiled at Luna as she went to Ravenclaw, "'the two glaring outsiders in their houses. "'He noticed whispers following Harry as he went to his table, "'and Harry wincing from it just as they had on the train. "'Draco got the same treatment, "'and Harry should be used to attention by now, "'but only Draco was used to that kind of attention.' being thought perhaps mad and dangerous, perhaps a murderer and certainly a liar. Though in this narrative, if lying to protect the man who avenged your parents was wrong, Draco wouldn't want to be right. But still, Harry was going to have to get used to these probably a deranged killer stares. Draco had been getting them since second year. It wasn't going to kill anybody. Draco craned his neck in the direction of Luna and the Gryffindors, waiting for their reactions when they noticed Umbridge up there in her fluffy pink cardigan at the high table, an eyesore in the first degree. His attention was caught by the feeling of closer eyes on him, or rather, on the little asteroth around his neck. Theo looked pleased to see Draco wearing the necklace he'd returned. Draco smirked up at him, wiggling the charm in his direction, and manfully resisted the urge to brag to Theo that this was the form his Patronus had taken. Instead, his attention was pulled by Blaze's casual greeting, and somewhat less casual teasing that Theo had been made a prefect and Draco hadn't. Oh no, Blaze, Draco laughed. Have you and Theo fallen out? Do you one really want me to remind you of that for Theo's sake? See Theo, he said, leaning forward, putting on a faux menacing face. "'I learned something very interesting about you this summer. "'Very interesting indeed.' "'Oh, spare me.' "'Theo sighed, looking nervous, although still quite fetching. "'Just as in the blue loop, "'the summer before fifth year had been Theo's time to start standing out. "'Puberty had hit Theodore not like a runaway freight train. "'Draco could finally remember why he had used to stare at Theo "'during boring classes for his own entertainment.' with that dark blond hair sleek and feathery around his face dark blue eyes set under graceful rounded brows and expressive lips fuller than any girl in their year those lips were drawn taut now in tension for what might await him as punishment for the green and silver pea badge on his collar draco had all his yearmates' attention as he delivered his smugly anticlimactic conclusion i've heard he said after his dramatic pause, that you intend to try out for Chaser this year. Theo went back to looking vaguely bored. Oh, yeah. Seriously? Blaze asked, nudging him with his elbow. What? Because Draco's become captain? Did your dad make you to suck up to him? That'd be easier ways to Draco's regard, Theodore. Draco, how did you even hear? Ran into Mr. Knott at the Ministry, did he tell you? Tracy Davis couldn't resist sticking her nose in. "'At the Ministry of Magic?' she asked breathlessly. "'Was it when you were there for the trial of Sirius Black?' She looked at Milly and Pansy, too, who drew closer to Draco in smug excitement. All of their yearmates, and many other Slytherins around them, looked full of excitement at the mention. Whatever politics or loyalties might dictate their opinions, should be on the Black case. No one could keep from feeling a natural curiosity— at what had been the biggest news story in Wizarding Britain that summer. They had the satisfaction of making them wait before giving them anything, as the time for the sorting came. The hat had a pushy little song advising unity over division, in which case, Draco whispered to Theo, it would make itself obsolete. Draco would happily offer it a in flamare to put it out of its misery. He and Millie and Pansy did oblige their yearmates with the story of Sirius's trial once the food had been served. It was fun being the centre of attention throughout, until the meal ended and Dumbledore got up to speak. Draco knew the interruption by Umbridge would not be long in coming, but this time, instead of enjoying the old man's disconcertion, the sight of Umbridge just made his blood boil. He couldn't believe he had actually scurried around being her toady, feeling all self-important as a member of her inquisitorial squad. Sometimes he wished he could go back to the Blue Loop just to punch his old self in his prancing, pure-blood teeth. He snorted out loud when Umbridge dropped the line, progress for progress's sake must be discouraged. She was less subtle than father when it came to these things. She might as well have rented one of those neon muggle signs to hang flashing above her head, "'reading fascism for fun and profit. "'Hermione looked shaken up by the speech, "'more than smart enough to have picked up the sinister undertones. "'But before Draco could catch her, "'she had to go off and usher a lot of first years. "'Gryffindor had truly outdone itself in this year's crop, "'more turnip-faced and snot-nosed than ever. "'Merlin, it was trying to only have two intellectual friends.' he ignored said other intellectual friends' tentatively reproachful stare, as he cut away from the other Slytherins and went down towards the kitchens, as if Theo would have the nerve to discipline Draco, whether or not he actually wanted a spot on the Quidditch team. Being prefect might be more trouble than it was worth for Theo, for whom trying to restrain Draco Malfoy would be like emptying out a flooding boat with a thimble. And, however helpful Draco and Theo had found themselves last year, and however pretty Theo was getting, Draco had no intention of letting Theo exercise any of the same methods of, well, restraint that he had in the Blue Loop. The only hands Draco intended to have on him again in the near future, perhaps ever, were his own. After twenty minutes of Harry Potter's hands in his hair, dealing with the aftermath of Neville's plant, Draco would need the use of those hands tonight. First, though, off to see if Dobby had made any elf friends. The good news was Dobby had elves called Wookie and Nissy, who were brother and sister. They had been freed from the Parkinson's a number of years ago for helping Pansy's older sister steal from her parents, and ended up at Hogwarts, unpaid, of course. They'd bonded with Dobby by gossiping over their Slytherin ex-employers, even if they all had to fight against the need they felt to punish themselves for it. The bad news was, the rumour had since gone around that Dobby was being paid by yet another employer to do work on the side, the notorious Sirius Black, and in a flash Dobby had elf friends no longer. Wookie and Nissy could be seen together with the other elves cleaning up after dinner, shooting Dobby and Draco the same dirty looks as the rest of them. How would they even know? Draco complained. "'I mean, yeah, you won't tell me your living situation, "'but you sh- you're sure you didn't tell them. "'Maybe they saw you coming and going, "'but how did they hear it was Grimauld, "'let alone that you were doing any paid work there for us?' "'Dobby looked shifty. "'Dobby does not want to cause any more disputes,' he said, "'which meant he knew full well her word had spread. "'Dobby,' said Draco, and Dobby nervously checked the watch Draco had made him. Ah, Dobby said. Dobby is very busy tonight, Draco Malfoy. Dobby must run. Dobby? Draco whined. You're going to make me die of curiosity. After a great deal more whining, Draco managed to coax out of Dobby the identity of the snitch, who had ruined Dobby's chances once more of having a harmonious existence with the other elves. Creature. Apparently even in different households, the network of gossip between elves could be as fierce as gossiping humans if they exerted themselves. And from the sound of it, Creature had, as he rarely did at anything other than hiding black heirlooms from the hated Sirius Black. Draco regretted every nice thought he'd ever had about that old bastard for his help with the antiques. "'I'll kill him,' Draco said grimly. I'll go back to Grimald for Christmas and hang him from the rafters by his own entrails. Or, no, we took down all the house-elf heads from the walls, but for that loathsome worm, I'll make an exception. Don't worry, Dobby. I'll decapitate him slowly. All right, maybe I'll put his head on the wall, but I'll hang the rest of his corpse from the rafters. Dobby was afraid of this, Dobby protested. "'Dobby did not want to cause anyone trouble, not Draco Malfoy or Creature. Creature is not a bad elf. He tells us he was taught his faithful to his own masters. Do not punish him, Draco Malfoy!' "'Okay, fine,' Draco sighed. "'But next chance I get. Him and I are definitely having a talking to, all right. He shouldn't be spreading secrets around from his household, even to other elves.' I mean, that's against any house-elf code of conduct, right? Dobby nodded, and they eased back into more pleasant subjects, like the minutiae of the Black Trial and how all the elves already held an instinctual distrust towards Umbridge. He must have spent longer than he realised talking to Dobby, because they were interrupted, finally, not by another elf, but a human, Draco, the voice said and it was not nearly lilting and cutting enough to be Severus's, the only person Draco would have thought could have the temerity to come drag him out of here. Draco, you have to come to bed with me, it's well past curfew. Draco looked up, and saw Theo standing over them anxiously. He hadn't known Theo knew how to get into the kitchens, but in his experience, Theo was skilled at getting into places you wouldn't think he'd belonged, or fit. Oh, no, have I displeased the great dread prefect of Slytherin House. Look, Dobby, Theo is impatient for me to come to bed with him. I I didn't mean it that way, Theo stammered, as Dobby failed to hide his amusement. Come on, Draco, please, seriously. He began to pull Draco up by the hand, but Draco didn't walk with him, giving him a severe look. Theo was tall again, more than half a head over him but it didn't keep him from making Theo wilt with a mere look. Aren't you forgetting something? Theo looked blank. You interrupted my conversation with my friend here. Aren't you going to introduce yourself and apologise? Theo looked like he thought Draco had finally gone round the bend, but he said anyway, Hello there, my name is Theo, sorry to interrupt. My name is Dobby, Dobby said, eyeing him sceptically. "'Goodnight, Theodore Not, "'Of course Dobby knew Theo's name. "'And of course the sound of him knowing it "'made Theo visibly suppress a shudder. "'Goodnight, Draco Malfoy. "'Dobby is sorry if Dobby got you in trouble.' "'Oh, no, Theo would never give me detention.' "'Draco drawled, throwing an arm around Theo's shoulders "'as they headed out. "'Theo and I are too close, aren't we, Theo?' Theo pulled himself away from Draco's arm as soon as they were alone, glaring down at him with real disquiet. You do need to stop that, Draco. If we are really to be friends, we're too old for those those jokes. I know you think it's funny, but someday someone might actually think. If you don't want me to joke that you fancy me, Theo, Draco said equably, beginning to climb up the stairs. Then stop acting like you fancy me. What? Theo had remained at the base. I need to tell you something, all right? Theo said heavily, and that explained the unusual initiative taken in going after Draco in the kitchens. Draco's first hope was that Theo had found something out about the talon wand over break, but if he had, he would have led with that, coolly smug in his own unimpeachable cleverness, rather than this uncomfortable sulking. Draco smirked down, looking from his higher step. "'Why, Theo, you couldn't have found a more romantic setting to confess your love for me.' "'No,' uh, Theo groaned, seeming dangerously close to losing his cool. when Normally he kept his cards closer to his chest than anyone Draco had ever met. Draco had used to count every time he could make Theo blow up as a personal victory. "'Draco had sparked the Quidditch team.' "'That made Draco stop walking.' "'Are you not trying out? "'It's just, if it's your father making you.' "'It's not,' Theo said, fidgeting where he stood still at the foot of the stairs. "'You know I like Quidditch. "'My father just always forbade me from playing. said I needed to concentrate on my studies.' "'That Draco hadn't known in the Blue Loop. "'He gave his permission this year because you're the captain, "'and apparently we're going to get in with you for some reason, "'but I wasn't overly displeased. "'I just don't know how well that's going to go now.' Theo, Draco said, rolling his eyes and descending to his step. I guarantee you, if you're not the best choice for the team, I will not give you Chaser. End of... Are you really going to let girls try out for the team? Theo asked, and Draco shrugged. Why not? We always played together when we were kids. How is this? Why not? Draco, you're normally cleverer than this. Do you really think everyone is going to be okay with that? especially if you have Millie replace Bletchley at Keeper like you clearly want to. Theo crossed his arms, looking unhappily into the shadows. It's not officially against the rules anywhere I checked, but it's not officially against the rules for muggle-borns to get sorted into Slytherin either, is it? And they never are. And girls are never on our team. It's just not how things are done. And if you break it, I'm not sure how the other players... Theo? Have you heard something? Draco frowned. And Theo shrugged non "'You should have figured this much out from common sense, "'or you have been spending too much time with Gryffindors "'and forgotten how things work in our house,' Theo said, looking away. "'His prefect badge glimmered in the torchlight, along with his hair, "'but half his face was cast in dense shadow. "'Objectively, I know Millie would make a far better keeper than Bletchley. "'Salalot knows I'd rather be on a team with her "'than that mentally challenged half-squib. "'But he's friends with Montague, Pusey, Warrington. "'They already aren't happy.' They thought Montague would be captain. If you get rid of Bletchley, you might lose his friends with him. Draco felt a wave of uneasiness go through him. You're being serious, aren't you? But what am I supposed to do, Theo? I already told Milly she should try out, and tryouts are tomorrow. Pansy might show up too. Other girls, even. What am I supposed to do? Tell them all not to come. Now I've changed my mind. Chauvinism reigns once more. If you have to let them try out, do it, Theo said thoughtfully. Just don't put them on the actual team, or we won't have a team, Draco. Traditions like this are stupid, but it doesn't mean they aren't tradition. And you, you already don't follow so many if you stop following any. Then what, Theo? You'll all murder me in my sleep. We could never do that, Draco, Theo said soothingly. And Draco thought he meant for sentimental reasons before he explained. You always keep your curtains charmed shut. Thank you for listening to this chapter of Draco Malfoy and the Talon Brand, part five of the Mirror of Isidiru series by Star Bridget.